two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we began looking at the revival under Josiah and what happened there, how that revival began. Uh, they found the book, they read the book, they heard the book, and then they responded to the book. There was a brokenness in their life for what God wanted to do. And then last week, uh, we looked at uh, Josiah's personal response. That, that you and I have to respond personally. Revival is not something that, it is something that takes place corporately, but it is something that takes place corporately because it began individually. It began in my heart, in your heart. And we talked about uh, that revival and, and why that took place. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of neat things I could tell you about last Sunday, about why uh, God impressed upon me to sit still. And uh, you'll have no idea how hard that was uh, to do that. Uh, but as you see this morning, I don't feel led of God to sit still. Uh, so I'm moving again and, and around. Um, but this morning, we're going to look at, at a passage of Scripture that deals with revival that began under John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. Uh, he is the forerunner, the one who would come in the spirit of Elijah to make straight the pathway for the Lord. Uh, he is the one who came preaching a very simple message of repentance. It was a message of God. And it was a message that from God prepared the hearts of the people to receive. It, it, it was something that God wanted them to, to, to realize. And, and what we have to remember is God was speaking that message to religious people. I mean, the people who were going out to John in that Jordanian countryside were, for the most part, Jews. And they were people who were people called people of the book. They knew what the Word of God said. Most of the men who were in that deal, and this isn't a discriminatory thing, it's just the way society was in that day and time, most of the men who were in that crowd that day, and certainly all of the boys, would have the first five books of the Old Testament, what we know as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, memorized verse by verse. They would know uh, when John began to speak and when he began to say, I'm the one who's come in the spirit of Isaiah, I'm the one that's come to make uh, the, the pathway straight, they would know immediately what passage of Scripture he was talking about from Isaiah. They would have known uh, religiously everything that was going on. So we're not talking about people who weren't religious. We're talking about people who knew religion. And John has probably one of his most uh, specific and direct statements that he makes to the religious elite. And he tells them, as he speaks to them, he challenges them with the fact that revival is something that should come to their heart. And not only should it come to their heart, but the religious people, when revival comes, it ought to be the thing that they lead out in. It ought to be what God wants us to do. So this morning, we're going to look at this message, and, and my prayer is that you and I will hear some words that were written 2,000 years ago as very applicable to your heart and my heart today. And my, my message this morning is in challenge God's heart for revival. It's what He wants, is for you and I to be revived. So if you have your Bibles open there uh, to Matthew chapter 3, if you would please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. In verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah who said, A voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John himself had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and the vicinity of the Jordan were flocking to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the place of his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. 
And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees, therefore every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to take off his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn up with the fire that never goes out. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. John wanted the people of Israel to understand there is more to this life of faith than religion. Okay, Religion is a, a pathway. It is a vehicle. It is the conduit that God uses to teach us what it means to have a relationship with Him. And so John was writing to a very religious people, and this is what he says. Learn to hear the message that I am preaching to you. And that message was very, very simple. The first thing that the message is, and the message I think that is, is for us today, wherever we are, old, young, uh, middle-aged, uh, whatever you think middle-aged is, man, woman, boy, girl, child, youth, teenager, the message is very simple for each of us. And the first part of this is repent. If you look in verses uh, 1 through 7, uh, Matthew's writing, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the message. That's very simply what he said. Uh, it's not a uh, great theological treatise. It's not something that uh, is in-depth. It doesn't take very long to get it out. It's just very simply this, repent. And what John was saying is, change your mind and act upon the change. That's what the word repentance means. It means that these people were doing things, they were religious, but there was something that was missing from their life. And so John is teaching this message, repent, confess your sin, prepare your heart for the Lord. When, when Matthew quotes that passage of Scripture that he is the one who is making level the path, John's baptism didn't save people. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance that prepared their hearts to meet Messiah. Messiah was going to save. And, and so when they came and confessed their sin, when they came in repentance, what they were saying is, my heart is open for what God wants to do in me and to me and with me. They were preparing themselves for what Jesus Christ was going to be. So John says the first step in that is to repent. It is to change your mind and to begin to act on the change of what God has talked about and what he is doing. John wasn't looking for remorse. He wasn't looking for people to say, well, man, I'm sorry I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. I'm sorry I've been in sin. He wasn't looking for guilt. He wasn't looking for ridicule. He wasn't looking for people to, to uh, necessarily show some outward sign of this big emotional thing. John was looking for a changed life. That's what repentance is. Repentance is the evidence of a changed heart, a changed life, something that God wants to do in their midst. And so John comes and he says, repent, show the evidence of a changed heart. And if you don't, judgment's coming. I'm asked a lot of times why I get so emotional about this book. Why is it that sometimes I'm moved? And, and it's not just sometimes anymore. It seems like every Sunday something moves me to the point of tears as I preach. And, and you know, I, I don't want to be like W.A. Criswell. I love W.A. Criswell. He was one of the most godly, powerful preachers our, our denomination has ever known. 
But W.A. had the ability to put a tear in his voice at just the right time of the invitation. Okay, he, he could do that. And I want you to understand, that's not what I'm doing. Okay, I mean, there, I, 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 there are times where I am moved emotionally every single Sunday that I preach. And let me tell you why that is. I believe the words of this book are true. And I believe the warnings of this book are true. And I believe the promises and the commands of this book are true. And because those things are true, I believe God is going to hold us accountable in my life and in your life. He's going to hold us accountable in our families. He's going to hold us accountable for the people that we work with. He's going to hold us accountable for the way that we've allowed this truth to impact us. Not just in what we do in a building on Sunday morning, but he's going to say, look, here is my life for you. How did you live the life that I've called you to live? I'm telling you, this book is infallible. It is and errant. It is holy. It is true. And what God says there about my life and what he says about your life is to be the example that we are to be. And if you and I can't get worked up about what the Word of God says about how I'm supposed to look, then there's a problem with our life. That's why I get emotional. I believe people are really going to die and go to a place called hell that is real and it hurts, and it burns, and it is torment forever and forever. And it is not a place that God intended any man, woman, or child to be in. It is not a place where he wanted people to be. Hell was made for the devil and his angels, those who followed him in rebellion. But God will allow people to go there if they reject him. And you and I have got to begin to take seriously the command of God to be the people of God as God has called us to be. It's real. That's what God's saying. You and I have been called to be who God has called us to be. So I ask you the question, are you ready for the Lord to come? John's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has come near. In the book of Revelation, John the apostle writes and says, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Has there been a time in your life where your heart has been changed and everything has been made new? There's a story in the book of Acts that Luke narrates about a man that we know simply as Simon the sorcerer. He was a, a magician. He was able to use sleight of hand and, and some demonic deception to deceive people. And people thought he had special power. And because of that, they paid him. So he used his power the wrong way. But the Bible says when the disciples came and began to preach in his region, he saw what real power was. And when he saw what real power was, he said, I want that. And he gave his heart to Jesus Christ, and his life was changed. How do we know that? Because the Bible says, as they recount the story of Simon, that he believed. It is the word to put faith in. He believed in what the apostles were saying, and he was baptized. And not only that, he left his way of life, and the Bible says he began to follow the disciples. So this isn't just a guy that started and made an emotional decision. His life changed. He follows the disciples. He spends time with them. He hears them. He begins to grow in his faith. But later on in his life, he sees that when the apostles would pray for people, that a special power was given to them. And he says, with a bad attitude, I want that power. And I, I believe Simon's motives are pure. I think Simon wanted to use that power for good. I don't think he wanted to use it for himself. I don't think he wanted to use it to make money. But he didn't know how you get it, so what did he do? He went, he reverted to the ways of the world. He pulled out his wallet, and he started counting out money. He said, how much? 
And they said, how, how much does it cost? How much does it take for me to get that? And, and the Bible says that the apostles prayed over him, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the spirit of the living God. And Simon's, how do I know his heart's changed? Because his next words, oh, pray for me that what you just said about me doesn't happen and forgive me. Guys, religious people can miss this. Religious people are, 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 are those people. Let me just, let me, let me, I've said this and I'm going to say it again until we get to the, 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 the time of October the 18th when our revival starts. Revival is not for the world. Revival is for the church. It's for the people of God to begin to get their heart right with God and allow God to speak to them the way that God wants to and us opening ourselves to what God wants to do in us and through us and with us. Revival is for the church. It starts with repentance. The second thing that Matthew says, the message of John is produce. Look at verses 8, 9, and 10. Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance, and don't presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham, even from these stones. Even now the axe is ready to strike through the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, remember to look back what was just said in verse 8 he says therefore produce fruit in keeping or consistent with repentance why well because he's just spoken to these religious the Pharisees and the Sadducees the religious elite the guys who knew the most okay their families were supposed to be the leading families in the church he's challenging them that not only do they need to repent but then they need to begin to lead the nation of Israel genuinely for God and this is what he says in verse 7. Therefore, uh, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the place of his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, your heart's right. You're, you're here. You're listening. You know God's moving. Repent. And therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a if you will or if you have time or if this fits into your schedule. It's not a, you know, well, this sounds like a good idea sometimes. We are to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. There ought to be what that phrase means is that I am to continually be bringing the pickings and the, the production of my life of faith as evidence of what God's done. Hear me. No one can read the Word of God. No one can read the Gospels from, from Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, no one can read the letters of Paul. No one can read all the way up to the book of Revelation and get, if you will read the Gospel in context, read the New Testament in, in context, there is no way that you can get the idea that we are saved by what we do. Okay, for by grace are you saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are not saved by what we do. However, we have been saved to serve. If you're here today and you have a relationship to Jesus Christ, there's been a time in your life where you asked Jesus Christ to be Lord, you surrendered to Him, you confessed your sin, you began that walk of faith with Him, there is something that God has for you to do. You are to produce fruit, to give evidence of the pickings and the gleanings of the fact that a life change has happened in you. Not remorse, but genuine faith. Produce fruit. Give evidence that your life 
has been changed. Do the things that God wants you to do. Show the things that God wants you to show. And the trees that don't, not good. I mean, that's the message. His, his axe is at the root, and if your tree don't, tree don't produce, not good. You and I are supposed to be given evidence of what we do. Our faith is supposed to make a difference. It's supposed to make a difference in the way we act, the way we talk, the way we think, the way we, we react and interact with people. Now, there are basically two reasons for a non-productive life. Okay? There's two reasons in the faith for a non-productive life. One, there is some secret sin, some attitude, some uh, anger, bitterness, guilt, uh, animosity, something that you are harboring or holding on to, something that you are protecting, some area of your life that is out of obedience. And remember this, unless it's complete obedience in any area of my life, materially, physically, financially, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, uh, recreationally, okay, any area of my life, unless it's total obedience, it's total disobedience. Okay, 99.9% obedience is total disobedience in any area of my life. And so my, my life is to produce fruit. And, and so the reason that my life doesn't produce fruit is that at some point, some place, some time, I have grieved the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit uh, with which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, so I grieve the Holy Spirit. I sin, I don't confess it. I have an attitude towards somebody or something. Something's happened. I don't confess that. I have a relationship problem with somebody else. I don't get that right. And because of that, I've grieved the Holy Spirit. And God, now this, isn't, this is just help, helps us understand. It's like God says, okay, I'm done until you get that right. My Holy Spirit's up here. My power, my authority for your life is up here until you confess that and get that right. And then we're good. That's one reason why people don't produce. The second reason is this. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The only, two, the only two scriptural options. If I'm not producing in my life, it is because I have either messed up and I have something that's standing in the way, my relationship with God, that needs to be fixed. Or I'm not a Christian. There's never been a time a life for living change. A lot of times what happens to a lot of us, and, and, I, and I can say this because this is what happened to me, I got vaccinated against the gospel at age 8. I grew up in church all my life. I knew all the answers. I could check the boxes. I knew all the stuff. Age eight, I walked the aisle. I got baptized, and there's nothing that changed in my life. And, and, and nobody discipled me. Nobody, I mean, it was just, I was dunked, and, and, and that was it. And I got vaccinated against the gospel until I was 19. And God said, are you ready to get real? Because I'm ready. And I asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of my life at age 19 and gave my heart to Christ. And things began to change. That's what, that's what God wants. Two reasons, scripturally, why our lives don't produce. Either one, there's hidden sin, something that's there. And it may be something that you know about, something you don't know about, okay? I mean, you could be harboring something that, came, that happened a long time ago. Somebody, man, maybe, maybe when you were a kid, somebody abused you or something happened. Okay, it's not an excuse. Okay, I'm tired of victimized society. Okay, it's not an excuse. Get over it. Give it to God and let God heal you and restore you and begin to produce fruit. Okay? Or get saved. In or out. And that's what Jesus said. He, he told the parable of the sower and the seeds. And when he gets to the good soil, this is what he says. Some fell upon the good soil and it produced the crop 160 or 30 times. The, the point is the seed that was sown produced the crop that looked like what was sown. 
And so there ought to be something being produced in our life that looks like the Son of God in our life. Okay? It begins to resemble. We are Christian, Christ-like. We ought to begin to resemble Christ every day of our life. There ought to be something being produced in us. And I think ought to be something being reproduced. Okay? That means we ought to be sharing the gospel with people and we're sowing good seed. Now, that's not all on you. Okay, you could share the gospel every day of your life with people, and they may not be good soil. Okay, the seed fell on good soil, and it produced. Now, I think we also have a responsibility to make soil good, to get some rocks out of it, and to cultivate soil, develop those friendships, those relationships, live our life of faith consistently, develop that soil in somebody else, so when you get a chance to share the gospel, they hear it and receive it. Okay, I mean, there are very few of those people who just walk up with the Bible and hit somebody up the head, side of the head and say, get saved. Okay. There are not many people that can do that. We need to be cultivating that soil. But whether or not they get saved, that's not on me. My job is to scatter seed, and if it's good soil, it'll receive it. But my job, my purpose is to allow God to get more of me so that what is produced in me daily looks more like Christ. And that means I ought to look more like Jesus today than I did a few years ago, and I certainly ought to look more like Jesus today than I did the day I got saved. And, and so things ought to be changing about you. I've told you about how God has convicted me about saying that word, Okay. And, and I appreciate all the texts that I get from you throughout the week. It says, hey, you don't have to say your word today. I said it for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. You have no idea how much that blesses me that I don't have to use that word, that you can use it for me, okay? But you know what? I mean, three or four months ago, I could drive in Dallas traffic. Somebody cut me off, and I could say, you idiot. It didn't bother me. I could look at the TV, and somebody make a boneheaded play, you know, that's paid, being paid millions of dollars a year to play some sport, and they ought to be better than that, and they just do something that's just stupid. And I would go, you idiot, okay? I had no problem saying that. And the Holy Spirit one day went, hey, no more. When you say that, you're talking about somebody I made in my image. No more. Now, for you, that may not be a sin. For me, it is, okay? And so for me, that's just where I was. And, and that's where I've gotten to that i got to work through that. That's, to me, those are those productions of the Holy Spirit where God begins to say, hey, here's an area of your life. I need more control. Here's an area of your life. I need, more of who, I need to be more of who I'm supposed to be. You need to bring it down. You need to, to tone it down a notch. You need to let me be Lord here, okay? I'm officiating football. You know that. And lately, all I've been doing is six-man football, okay? And I want to say at the outset, I love six-man football. It's easier to officiate. There's fewer people that can hide the stuff that they do wrong. But I also hate six-man football because on average, I'm running anywhere from about five to eight miles a night. Every Thursday and Friday night, I carry my phone in my pocket. It's got that little heart monitor to deal, and I'll pull it out and go, good Lord, no wonder I feel the way I do. But, but it's, now I'm losing weight, so it's helping, and people are paying me to lose weight, so that's a good thing. All right? But last Thursday night, I was down in Gordon. I was calling a junior high game and a JV game, and there's not a lot of people at junior high and JV games in six-man football, and so it's kind of quiet in the stadium. And we got through, and, and the team from out of town wasn't having a good night. Gordon was winning, and, and, and there was a gentleman in the bleachers on the visitor side, and it was quiet so we could hear every word. And he didn't like a call that we made, okay? Why are you doing that? That ball's supposed to be here. That's, wait, you know, and like we had one little poor kid, a guy got hit, and they picked him up, and they carried him all the way back here and dropped him here. Well, forward progress stops here. So we move the ball seven yards back up, and he started in. Why are you giving him seven yards? And we can hear every word that he's saying. And I wanted to help him so badly. 
And finally, our head official looks at the coach and says, do something with him. He said, answer him. And I wanted to. I wanted to answer and explain to him why he was that word that I'm not supposed to say. And so we meet during a timeout, and we're talking. And I looked at the officials working on the sidelines. I said, man, he is wearing you out. And he said, they say he's a preacher. And I just thought, Lord, is that how I used to sound? <laughs> yeah. Now, fortunately, I was doing it at football games where there were a lot more people, so my voice didn't carry maybe quite as badly, except when I was in the basketball gym or on the baseball field. And I thought, Lord, man. And I just, I just, I actually, I just, when, when, that, when that other guy told me that, I just said, praise God. And he said, what? And I said, I'm not that way anymore. I'm not that bad anymore. God's working on my heart, okay? It's changing. And, and, and that's what it means to produce fruit, that my life begins to look more. doesn't mean I'm perfect, and it doesn't mean i got a long way to go, but that I am producing what God wants to happen in my life. And the only way that can happen is this third thing. Look very quickly, verses 11 and 12. Jesus uh, has, is coming, and John is professing that, and this is what he says. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to take off his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the shaft he will burn up with fire that never goes out. John's baptism didn't save them. Okay, John's baptism prepared their heart to meet Messiah. It prepared their heart to be introduced, and it prepared a people who were ready to hear they were going to be saved. Faith and salvation always come the same way, by faith in God's grace. Even the Old Testament, the sacrificial system was faith. It was faith that the blood of a bull or a lamb or a goat could take my place and appease holy God. It's always been faith. And, and, and so what John is saying here is, my baptism is not going to save you. My baptism is baptism of repentance, but there's one who's coming, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. One baptism. Okay, there, I know some people, they want to try to teach two baptisms, but in the Greek here, this is one article. The Holy Spirit and fire. It's all the same thing together. Now, I, I realize that Pentecost, the disciples got the Holy Spirit. Fire is the thing that purifies you. When you ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, the fire has purified you. Boom. And the Holy Spirit gets into you that moment, that day. Jesus had not yet ascended. The Holy Spirit had not yet come. That's why the disciples were baptized at Pentecost. Okay, But the day you get saved, you got all the Jesus you're ever going to get. Okay, You got all the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to need. Now, Jesus ought to get more of you and more of me every single day. But, but we need to understand this baptism that Jesus is going to bring is a baptism of salvation by faith. And it is a baptism that empowers. But notice what happens. It is something that is received. The message I shared with the children in children's sermon today. You will receive. It's not something I do. I receive what God does. I baptize you with water, but there's one who's coming after me. After me, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Christ does it all. The child of God just receives. So have you received? Has there been a time in your life where you got serious about your faith and what you received from God is what you needed and were empowered to do? 
for life. A.W. Tozer said of the Bible, the Bible is not the holy scripture, the holy page. His exact quote is this, the holy sacred page is not meant to be the end. This book is not the end, but it is the means, the only means towards the end, which is knowing God fully. How do you and I find out about God? Get in the Bible. It's not the end, it's the means, the only means by which we find out who God is and what He did through His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Philippians 3.10, says, It is my goal to know Christ and the fellowship of His suffering and the power of His resurrection, being like Him in His death, submitted and humbled. And when I know Him, what I know is that I also know the Father. John, Jesus told His disciples in John 14.7, If you know Me, you have known the Father, and if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father, and from now on you do know the Father and have seen the Father because you know me. That's my goal in life, to receive the things that God wants to give me and to take those with an open hand, not through works, not through the things that I do, but accepting what Jesus Christ has done. And so that brings us to the end of this deal today. And here's the deal. There are three types of people here this morning. Those who need to repent, those who need to produce, and those who need to receive. Those of you, us, we, I, here this morning who need to repent. Is there something that is standing in the way of your heart that, that God, man, He is wanting to do? The Bible says when we pray according to His will, He answers. And God wants to send revival. And so when I pray for revival, it ought to happen. But, but that song that our choir sang so beautifully this morning, whatever it takes, Lord, that's what I'm willing to do. Really? Really? Even if it means going to somebody and saying, I'm sorry? Even if it means saying to your husband or your wife, I'm sorry? Even if it means looking at a co-worker or some situation that happened and saying, I need your forgiveness? Even if it means taking something that's been burdening you for a long time and laying down at the altar and say, God, this isn't mine anymore. It's not mine anymore. I quit. It's yours. Whatever it takes, Lord, that's what I'm willing to do. Is there something today that you need to repent of? And, and maybe what we need to repent of is the fact that we've become like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Man, they were religious, but there was no passion. It was just meaningless ritual. It's what they did every single day. It's just, yeah. And maybe we need to repent of the fact that we've let our faith become passionless, mindless ritual. It's just what we do. It's like getting in your car and driving from your house to wherever you need to drive and not remembering if the lights were red or if they were green or if you saw anybody that you knew or you don't remember turning on your blinker but you knew that you did. You, you just, we just go through the motions. We can sing. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad. I am ecstatic that the, the stupid computer messed up today. You know why? You had to think about the words. You couldn't go into hymn mode. Do we need to repent? Man, Lord, I am sorry that it's just another day. It's just what we do. 
And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe there's those of us here, and the honest truth is we just checked out on the production. We got to 88% and said that's good enough. We got to 70%, and that's passing, so that's okay. We got to 96%, and, and we just said, you know what, Lord, I'm good enough. No, if you're breathing, you're not done. Do you need to produce? Is there somebody that we need to be on our faces at the altar for praying, God, change their hearts. God, save them. Lord, get these rocks out of my life so that I can prepare good soil there so I can sow a seed and they can be saved. For some of you here, this honest truth this morning, you just need to receive. You can't do it. God's calling you, and all you need to do is take hold. And say, Lord, I quit. I surrender all. I receive. And there's some adults here this morning who need to receive. You need to get saved. You need a relationship to Jesus Christ. And there's no magic formula. There's no special prayer. It's just really pretty simple. You just tell God what's on your heart. I believe in Jesus. I believe he did what the Bible says he came to do. And I know I'm a sinner and I need it. So forgive me of my sins. And give me all the things that you promised about eternal life. Some of you today need to receive. Watching some videos the last couple of weeks, and one of the things that the pastor says is, in those videos is, before I finish today, before I say amen, Jesus could come again. Are you ready? Are you ready? If today were the last day, if it's all over, Sometime today, are you ready?